Check. Check one. We continue our journey through the book of Matthew. And what an awesome journey it has been. We're now in chapter 22. We're coming to the feast. This is a parable that Jesus tells. Um, I don't know if you remember, but last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is now, it's, it's the final week. Last week was the triumphal entry. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, but he's still doing teaching. And that's what we see here. He's still doing teaching. He's still teaching like he has from the beginning of the book of Matthew until now. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And that's what this parable is all about this morning. Y'all, I love food. I love food. And we're spoiled here in Charlottesville. We really are. Uh, We have so many good restaurants. And there's always more opening up. I mean, there's always a new restaurant that's just about to open or that's currently um, opening. I'm not sure how they all make it. I'm sure they all don't. But a few of my favorites are the carne asada from Moss. Um, if you get a chance to go to Moss, you, this is the dish you have to get, in my opinion. It's this, it's this medium rare uh, to rare, almost, chunk of beefsteak. And it's smothered in this sauce that will make you want to slap your mama. It is so good. I'm telling you, it's that good. Um, sorry, it's that good. I'm, I'm getting excited about it. But really, it's like butter. It's like a piece of meat that's like butter that melts in your mouth. It is incredible. It's exquisite. Or, have you perhaps had the pizza at Lampo? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Neapolitan style. It's got that soft, supple crust. Kind of the savory, sweet flavors on the top. It is, come on now. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, it's exquisite. It's, it's sublime. And I'll tell you what, Scotty. Tell you what, Scotty. You can take me we found... <laughs> Scotty found a restaurant for us. And it is... And, and I'm, I'm going to announce it here. And you have to go. Okay? Okay? It's right down on Harris. You, you would never know it was there. It's on Harris Boulevard or Street or whatever it is. Harris Street. And it's, it's across from that, like, co-op gas station. And there's this little... Uh, this little pull-in, and you find it's a tiny sign. You, it's a nondescript building in this very industrial area of town, and it's called The Kitchen. That's, all, that's what it's called, The Kitchen, or The Kitchenette. And they came in to where Scotty works at Sir Speedy Printing, and they printed their menus, and we were like, oh, let's maybe go check them out. What? Our first time there was a revelation. Might I say? Amazing sandwiches. My favorite is this one called The Angry Bird. Uh, and it's like, it's chicken that's perfectly cooked, spiced, it just it, absolutely wonderfully. And it's, and it's got kind of some, uh, you know, vinegar, uh, you know, some vinegar, vegetables on top mixed with the chicken. It's amazing. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. You have to go. But there's very limited hours. It's only open from 11 to 3, Tuesday to Friday. Okay? Go. <laughs> You know, so that's enough about food. Sorry to get you so hungry. It's almost lunchtime, and now you're hungry. But let's move on. I had another conversation with someone this week. We were sitting over a meal, of course. And I was talking about, you know, God could have created us where we have, like, metal bars. Let's call it, you know, some, some form of, like, platinum or something that we take. Like, we get a bar about that big, and you just kind of, like, shove it in your ear. Just zzz, you know, and then that's how you fuel yourself up. He could have done that, right? If he wanted to, you could, if we just 
We grab metal bars. It wouldn't be very fun, though, would it? It wouldn't be very fun. And you shove it in the side of your ear, and then you're done. You're good. You're fueled. And I mean, to be honest, this is sometimes we Americans view eating that way. Fuel, right? We have drive-throughs. Drive-throughs are the equivalent of shoving a metal bar in your ear, right? I'm not going to. I'm going to eat in my car. I'm not going to fellowship with any other human beings. I'm going to jam it. It's fuel because I have so much to do. I'm so busy. I've got to do lots of things, right? So we we sometimes miss the concept of feasting. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about feasting. Feasting means you're welcome to this incredible party. And there is going to be a spread to beat all spreads. And it is going to fill not just the stomach and the body, but also the soul. It's going to fill the soul. That's the kind of feasting that Jesus is talking about here in this parable. The biblical accounts of eating are generally accounts of where people get together and they eat with one another and they fellowship and they talk. and they, It's just so much fun. And God wants it to be that way. God wants it to be. God made us to eat. He made us to experience the pleasure of eating. This is a part of his design. But here's the point for us this morning. We're made to feast at God's table. This is God's table right here. We're going to have communion. Just to have this. We're made to feast at God's table, especially in the spiritual sense. Especially in the spiritual sense. But we often stay famished by thinking we should feast on our own cooking. Okay, that's our, that's our sort of overarching point today. We are made to feast at God's table, but we often stay famished by thinking we should feast on our own cooking. We often... The Jews often at this time that Jesus was teaching this parable, this very parable we're going to get into today, and, and people in general often think about the Bible as a cookbook. It's a cookbook. It's a set of instructions for us to make mud pies. And there, there are some great recipes in the Bible, absolutely. But that's not the overarching theme. The overarching theme of the Bible is not to be a cookbook. It's not, it's not a collection of good advice. It is an invitation that's what it is. It's an invitation. We're going to look at that this morning. It's an invitation to sit down at the feast of the king. It is a meal prepared by the greatest chef in the universe. And that's why we have this table here in front of us this morning. The reason we do communion every week at this church is not because it's cool. It's a neat thing to do for a church to have communion every week. It's because we want to send the message that doesn't matter, what, it, that more important than the preaching. More important than some neat points we can chew on and think about is the fact that we are coming weekly to feast upon Jesus. It's the feast of all feasts. And that's what Jesus is talking here this morning. It's a surprising and a delightful passage. So we're going to look at three things from this passage this morning. Three things from Matthew chapter 22. The first is we're going to examine the invitation to the feast. Let's examine the invitation to the feast. And I just talked about the fact that God is doing this throughout all of the Bible. Then we're going to look at the clothing. The clothing that will be worn at the feast, that is worn at the feast. And then lastly, we'll look, we'll look at what it means to live the feasting life. What does it mean for us to live the feasting life? So first, the invitation. Okay, It's a little strange. So I'm going to unpack it for us. It's a little strange that this king sends out his servants to go tell people that the feast is ready. 
Now, it's, it, Jesus is, his, Jesus' point in this parable is that it's first going out to the Jews. It's going out to the Israelites. It's going out to the people of God. That's who the, fir- the invitation goes out to first. Now, to, to be helpful here, you might say to yourself, I did when I first read this, well, weren't they already invited? Like, the whole Old Testament is the story of God pursuing this people and inviting them into a relationship with himself. Why then does Jesus give this parable about the Jews being invited to the feast of the king? Well, here, here's the way you can understand it, a way for us to break it down a little bit. Basically, a feast in those days, a wedding feast especially, took weeks of preparation, and it would take days for the guests to arrive. So what this is, is this is the sort of final invitation. It's like they've already been given the save the date, right? But this is the servants go out and say, no, look, listen, for reals, like it's ready. Like the calf has been killed. We're already starting to cook, which, you know, and it took a long time to cook all this stuff. So it's like, go ahead and start getting dressed, pack up your goods, and it's going to, you know, get, get your gear. It's time to all come together and have this incredible wedding feast. That's the point. It's, come on. It's, it, this, it's time. This is it. Woohoo! Yes! And, and you can see from Jesus telling the story, the response of the Jews, of the people, of the, especially the Pharisees, is meh. Meh. Because Jesus says, I've been prophesying about this feast, this feast that is set for the Son, the Son of God, this feast. I've been prophesying for, and, and what has happened? You've ignored my prophets. You've killed my prophets. He talks about that in this passage. But overall, the overarching theme is just meh. It says in the passage in Matthew 22, they went back to their fields and back to their businesses. They were like, meh, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm satisfied, in fact, with the mud pies I've been making. I'm satisfied with the mud pies that I've been making at home. Why, what is there in this feast for me? Why should I attend it? What's the big deal? I've got some money. I've got some power. Um, you know, I've worked hard, sweat my brow. Why do I need to go to this feast? Um, we all do this. This is not something that was just true about the Jews. Here, um, again, you guys, <laughs> I'm sure you get tired of me doing this, but I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis because I love <laughs> quoting C.S. Lewis. I love quoting C.S. Lewis. Okay, sorry. And here's what C.S. Lewis says about this, this concept of meh to the feast of God. This is from The Weight of Glory, a book he wrote, and it says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who will go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. And that's what's going on here with the response of, to the invitation of the Jews. They're far too easily. They're like, we, we're fine. We're fine. Why do we need to go to this wedding? Whatever. And so, what does the king do? What's the, what's the response of the king? And this, y'all, is news alert. This is like, I mean, beep, beep. You know, you get those little things on your phone, amber alerts. This is like the most extreme amber alert ever. It's, everybody's phone is blowing up. What happens? What does the king do? He invites everyone else. 
it goes out. It says it goes out to the main roads. And what that means is there's always, in, in towns of this nature that Jesus is talking about, there's always crossroads, of course. And when the, when the main road came into town, it would then split off into all the other side roads that went to all the other buildings and all the other homes that were in that particular town. So he says, go to the corner of the main road where all the riffraff hung out, <laughs> all the merchants. You know, this is where all the beggars, all the kids playing in the street. This was, this was where it was a mix of people, an incredible mix of people. And he says, I want you to indiscriminately invite. Just bring them in. Bring them in. This is news. This is huge. It's opening up. God is opening up the feast of his son to all. To all. Okay, now... I want, to, I want to just pause for one second, and I want us to remember a couple of important points about the in, this invitation. Okay? It's an invi- God sends out an invitation. He invites people to the feast, the wedding feast of the Son. Key point, God does the inviting. It's, it, you can't pass that over. God does the inviting. Because it's, this is actually practically important for us. It's important for us to remember when thinking about how awesome we are, that we, if you, if you parse out your spiritual life, if you parse out your life with God, if you parse out anything to do with church, God, anything like that, Christianity, it's God. It's God. You're not clever enough to figure it out. I, I, that's, I know it's tough news. You're not clever. You didn't, you didn't go on a search to find God. He has been coming after you and probably still is even today with his invitation. It's his invitation. God invites, and people respond. It's an amazing truth. It's an amazing fact. And if you really do, if you think hard and long about your own spiritual journey, you will see that it was God all along. It was God all along. Now, this is the whole idea. This is a a fun part of church planting. This This is the part that gives me encouragement and hope all the time, is that God's the one at work. We are just, we're just joining God in what he's always doing. Like, if you're, if you're like, hey, I need to reach out. I need to, like, share about Jesus with other people. Just open your eyes and ears to the people already around you. God's already at work. He's already doing amazing things in the life. You just have to be, you just, all you got to do is show up. You don't have to be some amazing evangelist. You don't have to know exactly how to parse out all the Greek words about how God saves people. You just got to show up and pray for the Holy Spirit. And he'll give it. He'll give it. And I'm telling you, y'all, it's exciting. It's exciting because it's not us. We're not doing the work. God is the one who is at work. And we just get to join him. We just get to open our eyes a little bit and, and be a part of what he's already doing. He's the inviter. He's the great inviter. And he continues to constantly invite people. A couple of application points about this. The fact that God is the great inviter. I don't know where you're at today. But if you're feeling it, if you're feeling his invitation, even in some small ways, do not delay. Right? Don't be like these people who got this invitation here. Go. Go. You know, there's this one of my, a line from one of my favorite songs called Come Ye Sinners, and it says, If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And what that means is, if you wait until you got your life all cleaned up and everything's looking good and, and you're fine... You're never going to come to God. Never. 
You'll never respond to his invitation. Because God's invitation, yes, there's an invitation to salvation. It's a once and for all thing. But there's also a constant, a constant invitation of God pulling us back towards him when we turn our back away from him. Again, remember though, remember though, it's always his work. He is the one who's at work in our hearts. He is the one who draws us to himself. And here is another, I think, important and helpful application. If you're worried, and I don't know where you're at today, but if you're worried like, oh gosh, I may fall away at some point. I may, what if I screw up too much? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do, you know, what, what, what if I do the sin that I said I would never do or whatever it is? Be encouraged. It's God's work. Even your, here, here, here check this out. Don't take too much credit. <laughs> Don't take too much credit for a work that is God's alone. Your worry about falling away is God's work in your life. Even the worry is God's work in your life. That's how gracious he is. He is constantly doing things in our life. Don't take too much credit for it. It's his thing. Just go to him. He's there. He's always been there. Just go to him. Y'all, that allows us, I'm telling you, this, this, this biblical truth about God being the great inviter It actually, as Christians, it allows us to rest every once in a while. To just rest. (sighs) It's not about me. It's not about my effort. It's about God's work in my life. And all we do is respond. We just respond. He's the great inviter. Oh, how glorious that is. How glorious that is. I can rest. I can rest. I can rest. And I can enjoy the feast. Okay, so the clothing. Let's move on. The clothing. That's the invitation part. The clothing. This is a really interesting thing. It's contradictory. It's, or uh, let me say this. It's on the surface contradictory. But we're going to dig it. We're going to get underneath it a little bit. This part about the clothing. So, so the wedding feast is happening, right? All are invited. Okay, check that out for a minute. All are invited. And it even says, it even mentions in this passage in Matthew 22, the good and the bad. The good and the bad. Everybody in. Ollie, all the oxen free. Everyone, come on in. Doors are wide open. What a fun message. And then all of a sudden, the king is touring around inside this kingdom house, whatever it is, and he sees someone who's not wearing the proper attire. And he's like, guards, come quickly. Toss this person into the outer darkness. What? It seems on the surface contradictory. It's like, wait a minute. I thought everyone was in. right? I thought it was just... Invite everyone, good and bad. What is this with this, this weird part about not wearing the right clothing? Let's dig it. Let's dig it. Okay. Now, if you think about the passage for just a moment, the people that were invited off of the street, the ones who were invited off the main roads, right? Jesus says, the first invitation, those, the first invitation went out to my people. They, it was not, they were not worthy. They, they rejected it, right? Then he goes out to the main roads and he just, anyone, everyone, Come, come. The doors are wide open. There's no way that everyone who was invited off the main roads had time to go home and change for this wedding feast. And I think it's a fair implication also that not only would they probably not have had time to go home, even if they did have time to go home to change into their wedding garb, there wasn't any at home to be changed into. So it doesn't make sense, right? It's like, wait a minute. What? Why would God be kicking someone out 
who's wearing the wrong clothing, they, didn't, they, they probably didn't have time to change it. And on top of that, even if they had time, there was nothing to change into at home. Their garments were just, you know, whatever they were wearing on the street, probably. The implication here in the story, there's no doubt, the scholars agree, the king provided the clothing. When you walked in the door, there was a changing room. Glorious, I'm sure. Three-piece suits, gowns, something out of your dreams, ladies. Like the princess gown that you never thought you could afford is right there at the entryway. And the king himself is the one who provides the clothing. So the implication of the king walking around in the house and finding this one man without the clothing on is this. The implication is this. He wasn't being kicked out for his bad deeds. He was being kicked out for his reliance on his good deeds. I know, it's a mind bender. Try to wrap around it a little bit. It's a mind bender. The dude was being kicked out not because of his bad deeds or his clothes were too dirty, but because he wouldn't change into the king's clothing. Why? Because I guarantee he walked in the front door, he looked over at the king's clothing that, that was being provided, a.k.a. the covering of the grace of Jesus Christ. And he said, eh, I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've done some nice things to people. I've helped people. I serve the poor every once in a while. I'm, I try to be nice. I'm cool. I'm good. Right? A complete, what we call, self-deception. A complete self-deception. That instead of taking these perfect, glowing, white garments of the perfect record of Jesus Christ, the guy's like, eh. It's the same response that the people had to the invitation at the very beginning of this chapter. Eh. I'm good. I'm good. But again, we all know, I mean, if... If you're honest, and this is what Jesus talks about all the time when he talks about repenting in the New Testament. If, you're, if we're honest, we're not good. <laughs> you're not fine. That's the whole point of the enjoyment of the wedding feast. Name the sin. Let's do a little, a little exercise this morning for all of us sitting here. Go for it. Name a sin. And play a little game. What's that? Pride. pride. Okay. Can pride be justified to ourselves? <laughs> Absolutely. I need to be strong, right? I need, if I don't show off what I've done, no one's going to recognize me. Our self-deception is epic. Try another one. Independence, yeah. Yeah, I need to to look out for number one because otherwise I'm going to be left alone and thrown into the gutter, right? Self-deception. Complete not being willing to rely on other people or God himself, Right? I mean, you, you name it. I mean, uh, adultery. Let's use that one. I was getting bored. I was getting bored. I was, I was tired of same, same old, same old, right? We play the games with ourselves. The self-deception, the, this idea of my clothes are good. I'm fine. It's this idea of calling. This, and and you, you, y'all, we do this as a society, okay? So it's not just individuals. We do this as a society. It's this concept of, I'm going to call evil good. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, like, ah, it's fine. I'm just going to redefine what God has called evil. I'm going to redefine it as good. It's a, <laughs> y'all, we do it individually, and we do it on a societal scale. You, you, you read the news. Read the news. 
I'm not getting political messages this morning. But the contradictory nature of this is only contradictory if you're willing to toss Jesus out of the equation. Because the king is providing the clothing of grace through Jesus Christ. Let's talk for a minute about the implications of this. So Jesus threads this needle. Jesus, oh, he's hard to pin down. What an incredible figure. Fundamentalists, hyper-conservatives, moralists, they can't stand the message of Jesus. They can't. Because anyone can come to God at any time in any condition. Think about that. Think about it. The doors are wide open. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how nasty your thoughts are. It doesn't matter how lustful your feelings. It doesn't matter how cruel your words or actions. You are welcomed to the wedding feast. You are welcomed to the wedding feast. It doesn't matter. (laughs) What? That's incredible. That's a paradigm blower. But at the same time, hang on, liberals, libertarians, open-minded people can't stand the message of Jesus either. He threads this needle, y'all. And and, and the the reason they can't stand it is because grace isn't cheap. There's a high, high cost. A high cost to the grace of God. And there's a real king who's really holy, and he demands a high price of admission. The death of of his own son and the clothes that he bought for his people. Which means, implication, not all religions get to the same God. It's tough. It's tough teaching. He's blowing paradigms left and right. (laughs) But it's the gospel. But it's the gospel. So, let's, let's, um, let's unpack sort of the, the meaning for us from this, from this passage. We've looked at the invitation and the fact that God is the great inviter. And we've said, don't neglect coming. Don't neglect coming. Let, let me, side point on that. I think it's easy for me, for anyone, to be like, oh yeah, I was, I was baptized. I was, I was like, yeah, I grew up in church, whatever. Yeah, like I... I came to the invitation without actually coming heart-wise to the invitation, the true invitation, to the feast life. And that's what we're going to end with. We're going to talk about the feast life. What does that mean, the feast life? Well, um, the Bible talks a lot about God being incredibly satisfying. There's, there's passages in the Bible about taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Um, and we often forsake this, like those who at the very beginning of this passage, the invitation, like the man who is in the hallway. We, we pass by the feast because we think um, we deserve better things. We think, we think that we're okay. We think we're fine. <laughs> but the reality is, and this is what I, lo- I love how Charles Spurgeon, he was this great minister like 120 years ago, said, you know, if you're going to invite anyone to your feast you're throwing at your house, invite the beggars. Don't invite the, the hoity-toity old women and men who are going to sit there and go, you know, as you bring out the, like, fatted calf in the turkey, they're going to go, um, yeah, it looks like that could be a little dry. Um, yes, uh, we've seen that before. <laughs> oh, invite the beggars, okay? Invite the beggars to your table. Because when you bring out that turkey, woo! <laughs> Turkey! Best turkey I've ever seen! 
Gravy! Everything. Butter! Salt! You know, I mean, you know, know, stuffing! This is going to keep coming. Every dish. That's the feast life, y'all. That's the feast life. And it's when we understand. Jesus said, I want your faith to be childlike. Not childish. But I want your faith to be childlike. You ever given a gift to a five-year-old? I love, oh my goodness, I love giving presents to Lyndon. Woo! Everything she opens is like, yes, dude, the best ever. You know, and the other, no offense to my other kids, I love them. Love them, love them, love them, love them. Hunter's old enough now to where, rips it open. Coo. Coo, seen that before? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was expecting that. Yeah. I deserve this, y'all. Mm. Jesus said this about our faith. He said, you want to live the, you want to live the feast life? He said, become childlike. He said, consider yourself a beggar. He said, when you get to that place, when you get to that place, you are going to see every dish God brings out and you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to be like, woohoo, I'm breathing. <laughs> I have a bed to sleep in. I have a house I live in. I have a car. What? I have a car? This is unbelievable. That's the feast life. And you know, it's like, it's like that lore that we have in the Shoal family about Christmas of 1989. Christmas of 1989, my dad is the first, I think it was the first year, that he had his VHS camera. Remember these bad boys? <laughs> about 73 pounds worth of video camera. And he's pulling that thing out, and he's doing his filming. And there's an infamous video that we still, my parents still talk about it, and we still watch it to this day. Because it was the year that I actually got a surprise present. And they, I didn't have many surprise presents growing up, cause basically because I shook everything and would kind of peel open the <laughs> thing. And you know. the, this one, though, this was a Walkman. Oh, nice. Wesley, you don't know what this is. George, I don't think you know what this is either. A Walkman, it played these things called tapes. <laughs> you ever heard of a tape? Yeah, exactly. But my goodness, it exploded my world. I was like, I mean, the reaction on the video is like, you know, and you know me, I'm super chill. So, uh, you know, so I was super chill with this thing. But we still watch that video to this day. My reaction was insane. And I was like running around the room. I was hugging people. I was hugging people. I was sharing it. You got to hear this. It's incredible. You know, check this out. It's an unbelievable. You know, Walkmans. I mean, it was a big deal. A Walkman was a really big deal. It's the feast life. That's the feast life. It's thankfulness. And y'all, gratitude for what God has done with us, done for us. Gratitude that I get to throw on garments, clothing to this feast that are not my own, but are the covering of Jesus' blood, of Jesus' sacrifice, of Jesus' perfect life given to me. This is the feast life. This is wearing robes, and this is dancing in the hallways, and this is hugging people. Jeff, I told you, where, uh, there he is. I told you it would be an application for the sermon today. I hugged people. That's what I did. Because you can't help it. It's not, you don't have to wake up in the morning and be like, I need to go be nice to people. I need to go hug some people. I need to go serve the poor. It's, let's go serve the poor. <laughs> let's hug some people. <laughs> I have been given the greatest feast there could ever be given to any person on the planet. Wow. That's the feast life. You know, and I conclude with this. 
Um, that's what this is. That's what this is right here. This, this, this is a feast where we get to feast on Jesus Christ himself and remind ourselves that we have been given the greatest gift in the universe. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality that we, all of us, are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. What a joy. Let's pray. Lord God, I, uh, I take for granted the food that you fix me. I take for granted your inviting of me. I take your, for granted your inviting of other people. I take for granted what you've offered to me, Lord. And I, I sit in my room and try to be good and make my mud pies, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. I pray today, Lord, today, that you would draw us back to Jesus. You would help us to see that the instructions of the Bible, Lord, the instructions of the Bible are meant to guide us in our response to the feast. Lord, that's what they are. They're a response to the feast, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, these are a response to being invited and eating at the feast. Lord, may our lives be filled today with eating at the feast. I pray if there's people in here today, Lord, that have never tasted of this feast, that today would be the day that they would stop resisting you and come to your table. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is feeling distant, that is feeling worried about their own faith, Lord, I pray that this meal that you provided would be an encouragement that they are not the ones cooking in their kitchen, that you are. You are the great chef, and you are providing the meal, and you are sustaining us, and you are feeding us, and you are keeping us alive because you love us. Lord, fill us with your love today, Lord. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we would not forget that you are the great inviter and the great chef, but that we would share the joy of the feast life with people around us, Lord. Thank you for this time to dive into your word and to look at how you work in this world, Lord. It's astounding. We bow before you and your wisdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you mind grabbing the kids? Uh, George is going to, yeah, rock on. Sweet. I'll give them a second to get back in here. But as we're doing that, let's remember, here it is. <laughs> there it is. It's right here. Uh, the feast is, let, let's, let's take some feasting. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I said this, mentioned this earlier, but if you sense that you maybe are being invited, but you haven't come yet in your heart to Jesus, you have not accepted him as your righteousness, we would ask that spend some time in prayer and let this, the elements of this meal pass by. But I'll tell you what, don't neglect. Come. If he, is, if he is calling, if he is inviting, come to Jesus. Because he will save and he will heal. Because that's the kind of God that he is. And so Jesus was, Jesus was explaining this feast life, this, this, this idea that we talked about today, to his disciples. They were sitting in the upper room right before he was about to be killed for them. 
for the world. And he said, this meal that we're going to take together is something that I want you to keep on doing. I don't want you to stop tonight doing this meal. I want you to share this together with one another and keep on reminding yourself that I am the satisfaction that only God provides. I am the ultimate desire of your heart. So we're going to do that today. And he, he, what Jesus did was he took the bread and he broke it in front of his disciples and he said, this right here, it represents my body. It's about to be broken for you. Now we know it was, was broken for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So let's do the same today. If you would, uh, if you get your element, just, or if you get the, the body of Christ, just hold on to it and then we'll celebrate together. body of Christ broken for you. Eat now in remembrance. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. He said, I want you to to drink this also in remembrance of the fact that I, through my blood, have taken away all of your sin. All of it. Totally and 100% gone. And so this morning we'll celebrate as we also drink in the same manner. Um, And as a reminder, the very outside ring here is grape juice, and the other rings are wine. Just a reminder. 